This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're looking this evening for a few moments at Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. If you've got the Pew Bible at hand, it is page 973. Hear the word of God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. We give thanks to the Lord for His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we study the Scriptures that You would sanctify us by the truth. Your Word is truth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Here in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle is concerned with the most important question that can engage the human mind. How can I be right with God? Or more to the point, how can I, as a fallen, sinful, rebellious human being, be right with, be reconciled to a holy, holy, holy God whose eyes are too pure to even look at my sin. In this chapter, Paul considers two ways that we might go about getting right with God. First way that he talks about is the way of self-effort. I'll try harder. I'll turn over a new leaf. Pull myself up by my own bootstraps and try somehow to please God by keeping his law. Paul has a word here for such people. He calls them cursed. Notice verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, to our modern ears, the word curse sounds a little funny. It almost sounds like the witch doctor has put the whammy on you or or is sticking an effigy of you, a doll of you with a pin trying to make you hurt. Well, that's not the biblical idea behind the term cursed. Rather, it simply refers to being under God's wrath, under his displeasure. The word has a rich Old Testament background. 
You recall when the people went into the promised land that Israel gathered, half of them on Mount Ebal and half on Mount Gerizim. And they had this, this grand service of worship in which they, not being in harmony, not in unison, but antiphonally, that is to say, answering one another back and forth, would declare the curses that God had pronounced on those who violate his covenant. And those on Mount Gerizim would pronounce the blessings that God has promised for those who keep his covenant, those who are faithful to him. The blessings and the curses in that same language occurs here again in Galatians chapter 3. In fact, Paul may well have been familiar with those curses. Paul records it in his various travels and his ministry in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that he five times received the 39 lashes, the 40 lashes minus one. And synagogue manuals of that time called for, along with the administration of the lashes, the reading in the hearing of all present curses found upon those who transgress the law of God, the curses from Mount Ebal. In fact, it may be that each time as the last lash was delivered, Paul heard, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. His back might have ached a little as he wrote those words. That's why God isn't pleased with those who try to be right with him by keeping his law. Simply put, they haven't done it. They can't do it. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, if we're going to be right with God that way, we have to keep it perfectly. And letting go for a a moment the fact that we're already guilty in Adam, as Paul writes in Romans 5, our record would have to be perfect. We would have to keep it perfectly to do everything it says to do. To avoid everything that it tells us to avoid. And to do so in thought, word, and deed. And so we're cursed. I haven't done that. You haven't done that. And that's why Paul said all who rely, verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And so no amount of effort, no amount of resolve, no amount of turning over a new leaf can change that, can undo our violations of God's law, nor can they guarantee that we won't continue breaking it in the future, as indeed we will. But there's another way to be right with God. It's the way of grace. Paul states it in verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That great quotation from Habakkuk that's found several times in the New Testament. The righteous, the just, shall live by faith. The other way to be right with God, Paul says, is by faith. Faith in the Savior whom God has sent. Faith in Christ alone. By faith receiving the righteousness that God himself provides for us as a gift. That God provides the righteousness to us that he requires 
from us. And so Paul talks about that specifically in verses 13 and 14, how that comes about, how that happens. And I want us to look at those verses for just a minute. He tells us two things there. First of all, he tells us what Jesus did, and then he tells us why Jesus tells us why Jesus did it. First in verse 13, what Jesus did. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Redeemed us from the curse of the law. The word that Paul uses has as its root in the center of it the word agora, the marketplace. You see, the idea of redeeming was simply to make a purchase, to buy back, usually used of slaves, as you're probably familiar. Paul uses that term. It was a marketplace transaction kind of term. And that's what he says Jesus did. Redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Because it's written in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 21, 23 specifically, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. We say, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't hanged on a tree, he was nailed to a cross. Yes, he was. But you see, in Deuteronomy, the concern was uh, when someone was put to death, and the Jews didn't put to death by hanging, they stoned him. There's the verse just before that when in Deuteronomy 21 indicates, verses before that, their body may be posted as a way of showing the sinfulness of sin, showing the penalty of sin as a warning and a deterrence to others. However, the Lord said, you don't leave that body up after the sun goes down. You don't want to defile the land. The suffering and death, uh, the warning that it serves is enough. And now take the body and bury it. Don't leave it. it will, that will defile the land. It's worth noting Jesus' body was taken down uh, as the sun was going down. And so when we come to Jesus, the very cursed nature, the defiled nature of being lifted up on a tree applied to the cross as well. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 30, Peter and the disciples refer to Jesus as being lifted up on a tree. Acts 5, uh, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, they saw what happened to Jesus, but they used that Old Testament imagery to connect the cursedness of, of being hung up on a tree with what happened with Jesus on the cross. In fact, he was not only connected to it, he was the fulfillment of it. He was the cursed one. And again, in Acts chapter 10, verse 39, Peter uses the same expression to refer to Jesus' crucifixion. You see, being on the cross would place Jesus under that same cursed category as being hung up on a tree, but in a unique way, that he bore the curse of God against our sin, against our disobedience, taking it upon himself. Well, that's what Jesus did, but why did he do it? Well, verse 14, 14 tells us why. So that, purpose Statement, so that in Christ Jesus, in what he did, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's a lot there, but just notice a couple of things. One, the promise of Abraham. What promise? Well, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham that he would bless him and he would bless the nations through him. 
and that he would bless them with vast numbers of descendants, like the stars of the sky and like the sand on the seashore. And he would give to him a land, a homeland, of which Canaan was a partial fulfillment or a symbolic fulfillment of something much grander. But the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Repeatedly, Paul argues that it is not those who are of the flesh, those who are the physical descendants of Abraham who are the heirs of those promises, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, the man of faith, after all, uh, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive it through faith. Well, notice how Abraham received it back in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So that Paul can say that all who are of the faith of Abraham, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, are true Jews, the people of God, the Israel of God, and heirs of those promises that God made to Abraham that go far beyond land and Palestine to a redeemed, renewed new heavens and a new earth. That we might receive the promised spirit, that is what the spirit represents, salvation. Through faith. You know, Romans, Paul points out that the Jews that had worked so hard missed the righteousness that God had because they, they, they had zeal, but it was without knowledge. They went after it as if it were by works. Whereas the Gentiles, in their sin, received a righteousness that is from God himself because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They received it by faith. Blessings and curses, curse falling upon Jesus, the blessing coming to those who trust in him. If, you've, if you're a regular at Old Peachtree, you know that uh, one of my favorite benedictions to pronounce is the Aaronic benediction, the benediction given to Aaron and his sons at the end of Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Has it ever struck you as strange that we should receive such a blessing? Sinners like us, we deserve cursing, not blessing. And yet we get that, that blessing that is given to us. Why? Jesus. Because when Jesus went to the cross, bearing our sin, as Paul says, he became cursed for us, becoming a curse for us. You see, when the Father looked on his Son, our sin bearer, he didn't pronounce a blessing on him. He said, the Lord curse you. And forsake you. The Lord calls His face to burn with anger and be wrathful to you. The Lord turn His face away from you and give you hell. Jesus heard those words on the cross. The effect of those words so that you and I and all who have believed in Him never will. But only in Him, only in Christ, 
will we never hear those words. Scriptures tell us that the Lord made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that God blesses. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our Savior. Thank you that bearing our sin, Lord, no sin of his own, but bearing our sin, that you judged him and that he suffered hell for us. Father, such grace, such mercy, such goodness. Thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.